Uh, so we are going to do um, a hybrid message of sorts. Um, it'll be shorter than normal, but this is one of the things that um, the high school group got to sit in since we were actually in Ecclesiastes. So why don't you turn to Ecclesiastes chapter 9. We're skipping ahead a bit. Don't worry, we won't ruin any spoilers or anything like that. Um, but the, these will be some big themes that we'll be continuing to see throughout Ecclesiastes in our time here on Sundays as well. So Ecclesiastes 9 it won't be up on the screen, so bust out uh, your phone, or, or if you have a Bible, um, open that up. So good for us to be in God's Word together. Before that, though, um, Walt Disney once said, all our dreams can come true if we have the courage to pursue them. All our dreams can come true if we have the courage to pursue them. I wonder if a man named Ernie Davis had ever heard that quote before. Anyone here, anyone know Ernie Davis? You'd have to be an old-time, like, NCAA football fan to hear about Ernie Davis. So Ernie Davis was the first African-American um, to win the Heisman Trophy, the most prestigious trophy in, in college football. Um, and he was the first to do it. Jim Brown was the running back at Syracuse before him, who's super famous running back, probably heard of him before. Not even he was the first African-American to, to win this award, but Ernie Davis was, and he had this dream of coming from nothing to take care of his family and to be in the NFL as a running back and to have a long career, and his goal was always to beat Jim Brown's records. He ends up being drafted with the first pick overall in, in the draft that year and onto the same team as Jim Brown, actually, onto the Cleveland Browns. But during training camp, before that season started, one day he gets a bloody nose. And the next day he starts to feel this lump in his neck. And he goes in to the doctor and he finds out that he has leukemia. And in that moment, all his dreams, all his hopes, everything he'd ever worked towards was gone. He never played a single down of football in the NFL, and his career was done and was over. And now, even though there's a movie out about him, if you want to know more about Ernie Davis, it's called The Express, super good movie. Most of us have never even heard of this guy. And that was everything he had ever worked towards in his life. But sometimes we believe that if we just work really hard, all our hopes, all our dreams will come true. But life usually has a different answer for us as we're working hard towards those hopes and dreams. And the writer, the teacher in Ecclesiastes, sees this and sees that this doesn't always take place. And he talks about three variables that get in the way of meaning, of hope, of purpose. And it's time, chance, and death. Time, chance, and death. And he identifies these as three evils that frustrate him to no end. Because how the heck are you supposed to find meaning in this life when you're working against time, chance, and death? Ecclesiastes 9, verse 11 says this, I have seen something else under the sun. 
The race is not always to the swift or the battle to the strong, nor does food come to the wise or wealth to the brilliant or favor to the learned, but time and chance happen to them all. Moreover, no man knows when his hour will come, as fish are caught in a cruel net or birds are taken in a snare. So men are trapped by evil times that fall unexpectedly upon them. The preacher here lists for us these situations, these circumstances where we should know the outcome. We should know how this goes down. The swift, the fast people should win the race. Guys like me should lose 100% of the time. I am not swift or, or fleet of foot, flight of foot. I don't know how to say that. Uh, I'm not quick. I should be beaten in races regularly. But he says that doesn't always happen the way it should. Yay for me. All right? The battle is not always to the strongest. You could train your whole life like Goliath did and lose to a little shepherd boy with sticks and stones. The wise can't always put food on the table. Even though they're learned, even though that they have spent their whole life to gain this knowledge, my guess is some of the smartest people in our country may be living on the streets at times, and we would have no idea that times and circumstances, bad decisions that they choose or that are done to them, they fall privy to. And so even though they're so smart and they're so learned, they can't even provide for themselves or for their family. The brilliant, in the same way, are poor. Those who are so smart don't have enough money to our name, to their name. I just think of teachers and how you should be some of the highest paid people in our country. And you're not. Even though things have passed recently that helped you out a little bit in Washington. But a lot of the time, some of the people that should be most rewarded for what they give back to society, what they contribute, are the least recognized and the most trampled on. And the book smart aren't always favored over others in a room or conversation. And in a world where we're told you can be anything you want to be, Ernie Davis and Ecclesiastes would tell us that's not always true. And ultimately, the greatest evil that Ecclesiastes addresses throughout the book is death. He comes back to death over and over again, that you could gain all these things. You could be the smartest. You could be the wealthiest. You could have all the stuff, but you'll lose it all one day when you die. And so all your hard work, everything you've ever gone after, is gone in that instant, and you can't take it with you. And this frustrates the preacher in Ecclesiastes to no end. As, as birds are caught in, in a snare or fish in a net, so one day, each of us, too, death will be waiting for us, and we will die, which is a hard truth to wrestle with. And you can just imagine telling this to high schoolers on our retreat and them just being like, well, why did I come to this thing, right? Like, this is not good news <laughs> by any means, but it is true. Death is one of those things that we need to have a right relationship with in how we think about it, just like gravity, where if I were to walk on the roof here of the church, I would want to be very aware of gravity, that I can't just jump off and be like, woohoo, I'm going to land on my feet, right? Like, I need to have this right relationship and respect with gravity 
I'm scared of heights, so I have, me, me and gravity are good. Because um, I, I don't want to fall. I don't want to be high up. But sometimes I don't think we have a right relationship with death. And how we think about death, it can be an all-consuming thing. It can be an anxiety or stress-inducing thing as well, where fear can be a part of it, or we can be fixated on it even instead of this right respect and acknowledgement that it will happen, and that should change then how we live. That should change what today looks like. And Ecclesiastes is not afraid to go there. And part of the reason for that is God is asking us and inviting us to wrestle with some of these questions, to wrestle with some of these thoughts to wrestle with some of these truths, to wrestle with the evils of time, chance, and death, and ultimately to have to look up to him, to look up through the smoke of Ecclesiastes and look to God and say, God, is there any hope? And there's good news that there is. Turn with me to Romans chapter 5, Romans 5. So keep, if you're newer to the Bible, keep moving to the right. You'll see Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, and then Acts in the letter to the Romans. Hopefully I can find it. Romans 5, verse 6. Paul, a follower of Jesus Christ, writes this. You see, at just the right time, when we were still powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. Very rarely will anyone die for a righteous man, though for a good man someone might possibly dare to die. But God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Let's break down Romans 5, 6. At just the right, let's start there, at just the the right. Jesus' death on the cross, which we will sit around and, and, and respond to and just have that time of the year around Easter where we just get to remember his death on the cross. An important thing for us to remember is this wasn't just some random act of murder that took place by evil men. This wasn't just something where finally that was it Jesus uh, has gone too far, now we need to kill him. That Jesus' death on the cross was planned. There's no chance, there's no randomness with Christ. That he came at just the right time. While we were still powerless. While we were still ungodly. God is not a God of chance and randomness. He's not a God that goes, shoot, the world's broken now. What the heck do I do? I'll send my son to die. No, God knew from the beginning, before before man ever walked this earth, Jesus knew where he was going. As we worked through John a couple months ago, we saw Jesus say time and time again, it is not my time yet, or it's not the time yet. He knew why he was there, and he knew that it needed to take place at just the right time. No chance, no randomness. 
James 1.17 says this, Every good thing given and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shifting shadow. There's no Ecclesiastes grasping after smoke with God. There's no randomness. There's no, he's there one second and then gone the next. It is a plan. He is sovereign. He is over all and in all and through all. But at just the right time, so we've seen how Jesus addresses the Ecclesiastes evil of chance. How does he address time? Time that's forever ticking away and we never know when our time has come. Well, at just the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. God is the author of time itself. The seasons, the ticking of the clock is in God's design for people that everything happens in its right time according to God. Ecclesiastes 3.11 says, He has made everything beautiful in its time. He has also set eternity in the hearts of men. Yet they cannot fathom what God has done from beginning to end. We went over Ecclesiastes 3 several weeks ago in that in its right time, God has made everything beautiful. And then in turn, he does something so interesting and so like mind-blowing that it says he sets eternity forever. This idea of no beginning and no end, eternity in the hearts of people. So that even though that second is just gone, or this minute, or this Sunday, or this week, or this month, or this year, or this season will pass, there's something different about people that God's done where we long for more. We long for forever. We long that there would be a day where something doesn't end, where it's not over. I remember when Kat and I were just dating, we hated saying goodbye, and we longed for the day that there would be no more goodbyes, that we get to spend this life together. And God has set that in our hearts for our relationship with him. We long for a day where there's no more ends. There's no more next seconds or next minutes. We're in eternity with our good and gracious God. At just the right time, when we were still powerless, when we could do nothing, when we were still weak, Christ died. Did you know that God never intended for his creation to die? That when he made the heavens and the earth, there was no idea of death until man and woman sinned and death entered the world. But it has always been in the plan that Christ would die. Because God knew that man and woman, that people, fallen people, would sin and turn from them, turn from him. It's our rebellion and it's our running after smoke that brings about this death that causes us to be separated from God. And that we will either spend eternity in death and in separation, or eternity with him. But Christ died 
in our place on the cross. He's the one who takes on death head on so that all those who believe in him might be raised to new life. God himself in the garden gave us a picture of this. When Adam and Eve first sin and they're covered in their shame and they try to clothe themselves with leaves, God's the one who kills an animal, makes the sacrifice, gives them the pelts of skin so that they can be covered, forever showing he was going to be the one that took death head on so that they wouldn't be covered in their shame any longer, but they would be covered in the blood of his son, Jesus. Paul says this about death in Philippians 1.21, For me to live is Christ, and to die is gain. Because of what Jesus did on the cross, for whoever believes in him, we have a new relationship with death. That now for us to live, our life is about Christ. It's hidden in him. Just as Adam and Eve were covered by those pelts, our life is hidden in our good sacrifice, Jesus. And when we are to die, it will be to our gain because eternity is in our hearts and it will come to fruition. Eternity with our perfect God in his kingdom where there's no more tears, there's no more agony, there's no more sorrow, there's no more Ecclesiastes, there's no more smoke, there's no more pursuing things other than our God. We are subject to time, chance, and death, but our God is the author of time. He's unchanging. There's no chance, there's no randomness. You even being here this morning is not random to God. He knew. He led you here to himself. And he goes before you as we leave this place as well. And in him above all else is true life. The life that we desperately long for. In Christ is that life now and forevermore. And now is the right time to respond to this God. Now is the right time to say, God, I choose you. I choose to trust in you in the midst of all these evils that take place in this world. I choose to put my hope in you because from you and you alone comes salvation, the forgiveness of sins, and life everlasting. And we'll get to celebrate that and reflect on that more this week as we dive into Easter and just sit in God's goodness of sending his son, his mercy, his compassion, and the justice for his wrath that he poured out on his one and only son. Let's pray before we sing together and remember him through the Lord's Supper. Lord, thank you Thank you that I just got to see students come alive and be challenged with this truth at the retreat. And that in turn, Lord, this is your living word and it's active, God. And so now with the truth and the reality of, of time, chance, and death playing such a crucial role in, how, in what our lives look like, Lord, would we trust you with that? Would we look to you to be the unchanging, the everlasting one who sees us and knows us and calls us to himself? 
Lord, would we respond to you saying, God, I put my trust in you above all else. In your name, amen.